All right, if you would, I want to talk, and I think it'll be brief today. <laughs> I want to talk about generosity for a minute. And just to clarify, this is not a tithing sermon. I'm not telling you not to give. I'm not telling you to give. That's really not the point of the sermon. So just before we get into this and you're thinking, man, that's, that's not why I'm preaching this today. So um, don't, don't take that uh, thought. I'm talking about generosity and what it means to be generous. And to help start us out, I want to explain that we can be generous in many ways. Of course, we can think about it financially, and that certainly is a way that we can be generous. We can give money to those who are in need. We can support those who are in need in a variety of different financial ways. But we can also be generous with our time, right? because really time is a valuable asset. We only have so much of it. We don't know how much of it we each individually have. But we seem to, and I at least speak for myself, can fill my life up. And pretty much every spare moment of the day seems to be filled up with something anymore. And so we can give our time as something that we're generous with. And many of you are incredibly generous with your time. Teaching Sunday school, vacation Bible school, a variety of other service acts that you do for the church and for others. We can be generous with our friendship to other people, right? the way that we are friends with them and, and do things with them. That's kind of time, but this is, this is a specific generosity that you're generous with your friends, you're helpful, etc. You can be generous with your hospitality. The scripture talks about um, having people inside your home and doing things like this. But ultimately, when we talk about being generous, we need to follow the model that was set by God. Because God in His infinite wisdom and His infinite capabilities is generous in giving us everything we need and even things that we don't need. Even things that we don't deserve. God has set an example to us to be generous to us, to give us an amazing variety. Think about all the different animals that we have. He didn't have to give us all these different types of animals. Some of them are generous because some of us think they're tasty. Some of, us, some of them are generous because we think they look funny and enjoy watching them. Some of us can think about the generosity of animals because they're our companions at our home. What about the world that he made? It's beautiful. I was on a business trip this week and was in the desert. And in its own way, that's beautiful too. And so are the mountains and so are the oceans and so are everything that God has made is beautiful. He was generous to give us all of this variety because he didn't have to. He could make the world and make it not as beautiful as it is. He's given us emotions. Sometimes we may not like those emotions, but he's been generous to allow us to feel joy and happiness. He's been generous to give us life. We're not here because we deserve it. It's been something He's generously given us. He's given us time. Which again, as I just talked about, sometimes that may not seem like a gift, but it really is. And He did it at the very beginning. He set the moon and the stars for seasons and days and periods of time. He gave us senses that we can enjoy listening and seeing and smelling and tasting and touching. He's given us many, many things. He's been very generous. But the greatest generosity that he has ever given us is his son who died on my and your behalf to save us from our sins, to reunite us with 
Him. In fact, the scriptures tell us, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. It is such an amazing gift. He has been so generous to us that there is really no way that we can possibly express how wonderful it is, both in the world that he made and the people that he has allowed us to be around, the time that he has given us, the senses that we have, the life that we have, and most importantly, in his son, Jesus Christ, he has given us the ultimate generous gift. And we should therefore seek to Be generous to others in the same way. So I have a few verses to talk about our generosity. And I hope as we go through this, again, you consider the ways I've mentioned and other ways that you can be generous. Yes, financially, but certainly with our time, with our friendship, with our hospitality. And we are called to be a generous giving people. I want to look at Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 through 26 gives us some ideas. Proverbs chapter 11, 24 through 26 reads as follows. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So I do want to mention real quick, this is not the prosperity gospel that you might see on television or hear from some preachers sometime. I'm not telling you that if you give or do a certain amount, you will get or receive a certain amount back. I think this is more of a principle of the thing. And also let us be reminded that our ways are not God's ways. And so when it talks about receiving a blessing for having been generous, we may receive that blessing now or weeks, months, or years later, or even in the hereafter. And so I think it is wrong for us to say that I give just because I want to be blessed of the Lord. We should give and be generous because it is what God has done for us. It is our example, and we should follow likewise because it's the right thing to do principally, not because we get something out of it. But nevertheless, the Bible does seem to indicate that we will be rewarded for the things that we are generous in. We notice in verse 25, it talks about that the generous man is a source of blessing, right? Whoever uh, brings blessing will be enriched. We also know that we will reap in the generosity And in verse 26, I want to note this just for a minute. It says, The people who curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. There's some implications here that this is holding back grain when it's like desperately needed. In other words, this is talking about someone who has consumed or amassed looks like a quantity of things. And even though other people need those things, and I myself have more than I need, I'm unwilling to give. And so we get an idea of what this verse means is probably talking about. So we are, in fact, uh, called to give blessings, to bless other people through our generosity in a number of different ways. And we are told that we will receive a blessing back at some point. I'll also note very quickly here, again, in verse 26, it says, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on him, the head of him who sells it. 
we can be generous and still sell something and still make money. Didn't say blessed is him who just gives it away for free. You can do that too. But this is seemingly, again, implicitly saying that those who have more than they need, when there are those who are in need, it is good to sell it to them. And so we see here some guidance for how we should live. Christ, when he was here, challenged us to give generously to everyone. A few quick verses here. Matthew 5, 42 says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In Ephesians letter in 4 and 28, it says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I'm not going to go on a long rampant tirade about different government programs, but it is important that we as a people, when at all possible, we do something with our hands. Why? So that we can give to others who have needs, so that we can be generous. Even if it doesn't seem like a great amount of being generous, this is an important aspect of how we should live. And so if we have come out of sin and into the life that is the one who follows Christ, then we should do something with our hands, if for no other reason, so that we can have something to be generous and give to other people. We should be generous and giving to other people. Now I want to look at 1 Timothy for a few minutes, chapter 6. And turn with me there if you'd like. There's a few verses here that talk about this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, right near the end of the chapter, end of the book. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll begin with verse 17 through verse 19. And it says as follows, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's a lot of truth packed in these short verses. Let me just highlight a few points. As for the rich in this present age, raise your hand if you're rich. Oh, come on. Nobody did it. <laughs> so who are we talking about? Clearly it's not us, right? Or is it? Now I just talked about all these different ways, right? That we can be generous. Those are also ways that we can be wealthy and rich as well, right? It can be finances, but it can also be uh, rich in friends, rich in family, rich in time, right? There's different ways that we can be uh, rich and wealthy. But I think this is talking about wealth. It says, as for the rich in this present age. Let me ask you this question. Are you rich in your health? Are you rich in friends? Are you rich in the spirit? Are you rich in money? What if I told you that if you have an average income per year of $34,000, you would be in the top 1% worldwide? 
Now how many of you are rich? $34,000 a year puts you in the top 1% of everybody in this world. It's easy for us in the U.S. to, to say, well, I'm not rich, I'm not wealthy. Look at, look at the U.S. 1%. And trust me, the one five top percent in the U.S. is very wealthy. But when we step back and we look at the entire worldwide, we get some idea of just what the level of poverty and difficulty is in the world if we in our country make $34,000 a year and are in the top 1% of the entire world. And so I'm just going to be as bold to say that when this says, as for the rich in this present age, let's most of us just include ourselves, okay? As for the rich in this present age, charge them, warn them, tell them not to be haughty, or you could say arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So our hopes should not be on the uncertainty of future riches, but instead it should be on God who is richly providing us with everything to enjoy. So we should be thankful to God for having provided a blessing, for having to be so wealthy that we can do the things that we do, and we should focus on that, not on obtaining more and more and more. He continues in verse 18, they are to do good. Who? We are. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, truly life isn't gaining all the stuff that you want. True life isn't having all the money that you could ever want. True life is giving generously to those who are around you, whether it be financially, as I said, or time or your friendship or hospitality or fill in the blank. It's giving to those who are around you because of the gift that God has given you. That is what it means to truly live, not to grow your wealth and to grow your stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So this is important for us to understand and to think through how we should respond, that we do not focus so much on our riches, but that we would understand what provides our true life. We should be rich in good works. We should be generous. We should be willing to share. True life is what we're after. Let me read a verse and Luke, just one verse there, so I'll read it fairly quickly and come back. Luke 6 and 38. Actually, you can turn to Luke 6 because we'll be there for a minute. I'm, I'm sorry. Luke 6, now that I see it. Luke 6 and 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And this is one of those verses, I, I know I've had to have read this dozens of times, but it never quite sunk in. And maybe, maybe it never sunk in because of the verse before it. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
Because that's like the most popular misappropriated Bible verse in our current culture right now. That's a whole other sermon. We've had that, and we'll do it again sometime if you want, about judging. But it seems like maybe we only focus on that, and then we forget what comes next. Give, and it will be given to you. And then something strange, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. This is talking about a grain. This is how they would measure grain. And what this is saying is not only are you measuring this grain, but you're going to like pack it into the container you measure it in, shake it down to make sure you get the most packed in there, and then you pour it into someone's lap or their, their coat or their pocket basically to take. And so this is talking about how we're not just going to kind of scoop up a little bit and kind of dump it in. We're going to make sure that the person that we are giving something to gets everything that they should. It's measured out. It's pressed down. There's no extra air, no extra room in this gift. We're going to shake it to make sure it settles, and we're going to give them everything they, they should. In fact, we're going to let it heap on top. Then we're going to pour it into someone's lap. So this is an image of grain and how we should be giving to others. But this chapter has other things that talks about this too. It talks about loving your enemies if you back up a little bit. And in this, we also have an example. So in chapter 6, which is where we're at, back up to verse 34 and 35. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that of you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to sorry, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father be merciful even as your father is merciful. And so here we see this continued theme about giving and being kind and generous to those who don't necessarily deserve it. And so we've talked about generosity, we've talked about giving to others, and you know what, sometimes it's very easy for us to do that to others, even when we don't expect something back, or maybe if we do, we lend to someone we know well. But what about our enemies, those who we don't want to give things to, those who we don't want to be generous to? Christ is telling us that we should love our enemies by giving to them, letting them borrow, and not expecting something back, even Evil people will do that with each other, people they trust and they love. This is important for us to understand and important for us to see Christ here in this. Not only is he saying this, but there is an example of he himself in this. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is kind to the ungrateful and the evil? Because we are the unkind and the evil before we experience salvation. And I am thankful that God was gracious to me, a sinner, to send his son to be sacrificed on my behalf that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And so this is the generosity, the example that is given that we are to give to others, that we should be generous to them when we can be, even the ungrateful and even the evil. But that's 
Easier said than done, isn't it? It certainly is sometimes. You think it was easy for Christ? We're not there yet for Easter, but surely you remember going to the garden and sweating drops of blood, asking if it was possible for this to be removed. Yet nevertheless, for his Father's will to be done. And the scriptures telling us that he went joyfully to the cross on my behalf to generously give and sacrifice himself for me. That is a picture of love, unselfishness, seeking the best and the highest even for our enemies. I am certainly thankful that he was gracious and generous to someone who was ungrateful and evil, that he spread mercy on me. And as I said, God is seeking people who will reflect his nature and his behavior and his actions. The Bible tells us, therefore, be imitators as God, as beloved children. And so when we consider how generous and gracious God is and all that he's given us, both our our senses and this world and the time and the friends and for some of us, the great wealth compared to the rest of the world, all these things that God has given us and the most important thing that he has given us, his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, then we should model that and be imitators of him and do the same to whom? To everyone else that we meet, whether they're our friend or our enemy, we should be doing the same thing. Now I want to end. I got one more section of scripture to read. Second Corinthians chapter nine. We're going to read verse six through 15. So it's a a few uh, verses. Second Corinthians chapter nine, six through 15. This is Paul giving instructions to the Corinthian church. Now, in this case, they were going to take up a offering, a financial offering to help the church in Jerusalem. And so in chapter nine, beginning with verse six of second Corinthians reads as follows. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also Um, overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval of this service. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ 
in the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And so we see here, uh, again, very important points when we talk about being generous, when we talk about being giving. In this case, it is specifically talking about financial, but I think the similar concepts apply to all of us. We shouldn't, uh, we should give what we have and we should do it without feeling compulsion. We shouldn't feel guilted into having someone to our house or letting someone borrow something or giving them money or giving them our time. We should do it freely and willingly. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And so when you walk away today and you think, okay, generosity, maybe I have uh, some time to give to someone or I have some love I can show them in a certain way, some support that I can give them, maybe someone who needs something financially. It shouldn't be uh, I, talking you into this and saying, well, you have to do this and you reluctantly do this. You ever do anything reluctantly? Maybe many of us who are in that 1% of the world reluctantly get up every morning to go make that 1% income for the world, right? So sometimes we reluctantly do something. That's not the way this is supposed to work. We are supposed to do it with a cheerful heart and out of love. Each one must give as is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I think what this is saying is that as we give, God will give us more and we will be able to give even more. This is backwards from what the world tells us. We have to hold on to everything. And if I give something that's gone, I lose it. But I think the reality of what God is telling us is that if we are uh, gracious and generous to those who are around us, if we give them time, if we give them the best that we have, if we give them our love, we will be not only have that returned to us, but it will increase all the more. I think this is what it's talking about when he says, those who supplied seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. You see, if you go out into a garden, of course, we don't really garden like this anymore, but if we had seed we were going to go and throw out, if we threw out a, a patch of ground, then we would take part of what is uh, reaped from that and we would have even more to sow the next year. And so far from losing uh, time and money and effort and friendship and hospitality, the more that we do these things, the more that we actually have to give, the more that we can actually model after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so how should we behave based on this passage? We should give bountifully. We should give a lot. We should give deliberately and we should give freely, including to our enemies and those we may not care for. This is a vital understanding of who we are as Christians. And I believe one of the things that sets Christianity apart, we could argue, but let's go ahead and just say for the sake of time that we are still a quote Christian country. Do you know, compared to like all other countries in the world, we give the most. We really do. And I think that's part of who we are as a Christian culture, whether everyone realizes it or not. 
But it's because we believe in being generous because the Bible tells us that we ought to be. And so it's perfectly appropriate then that we would be among the more generous, generous countries. So let me close with this last verse. This may be like the third or fourth time in as many weeks that I've quoted part of this. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, why do I want to close with that? Why I want to close with that one is to remind us of the great, generous gift that God gave who knew exactly what he was getting into, knew that what he was going to do was going to cost him his very life, and more than that, and sometimes forgotten and not emphasized enough, is that he had to take on the punishment for all the evil in all the world from the time that Adam ate the fruit until the time of the end, whenever that is. He would take that on. God would turn his face away and would punish him. He would die on a cross. And it wasn't the physical pain. It was the sin burden that he had to pay. And he did it with joy. He was generous with it. And he willingly went to the cross looking unto Jesus is what we're supposed to do. The founder and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand at the throne of God. And so if we ever have questions about how generous we should be, let us look to the most amazing model that's ever lived. Let us look to him who gave and gave and gave, who was generous with his time. Ever think about how tired he must have gotten? Fully God, yet fully human and people would come and come and come he couldn't hardly go into a city that he wouldn't be mobbed he's in a house speaking and people are so desperate to get to him they rip the roof off to like lower someone down on ropes does he tell him to go away does he get angry no he says get up that is generosity that is the model that we have set before us and that is how we should live Every single day, not building ourselves up, whether it's wealth or anything else, but instead giving what we can to others to help them, to encourage them to be like Christ. And so I ask you today, are you generous? God is still generous. He's still generous to us today. Although seated at the right hand of God, having fulfilled his duty for the time, he is still being generous to us, offering us an opportunity to know him and the peace that passes all understanding. He was generous before, he's generous now, and he's generous until the end. And if you've never experienced that peace, if you've never truly been saved, if you've never experienced the generosity of what he did for you, then today is an opportunity for you to do that. In just a moment, we're going to have a song and you can come and pray to seek him, to ask for his favor.
to ask for him to save you so that then you can begin your journey of being generous to other people with what God has given you. And for those of us who have experienced that, I pray that while we sing this song, that we think about how we can be generous today. How can we love other people so that we can model what Christ has done for us?